town there's been. Who's there to write to anyway? Hello again and welcome back to the Gotham TV podcast, the unofficial podcast of the upcoming Fox TV show Gotham. And this is episode 5. Today we're going to be talking about Gotham Central, issues 11 through to 18. I'm Derek, one of your hosts. Hello, and I'm John, your other host for today's episode. Right, welcome aboard. Got some, we've got a great week, right, a great couple of yeah. weeks uh, that got just gone past. Firstly, we want to give a bit of a shout out to one of our fellow podcasters, uh, one of our fellow podcasts, our friends over at uh, Welcome to Level 7. Absolutely. We really want to say thank you to Ben and Daniel for giving a shout out to our podcast. That's really nice uh, and really appreciated by the both of us. Absolutely. So let's give a, a little background to this. Um, Welcome to Level 7 is basically the best podcast about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, which I really enjoy, and so does John. These guys have, uh, we've been interacting with these guys for about almost a year now, I suppose, and they've done 47 episodes of their show. The schedule of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here in Ireland means that we're behind them quite a bit on on episodes. We're behind by about three episodes. So apparently, on their second last episode of their show, they gave a bit of a shout-out to uh, Gotham TV Podcast. And all we saw on our side was a sudden spike in people listening to us, which was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. We also heard them say we want to get them up to 20 likes on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And guys, it worked. Yeah. You got us up to 20 likes. And I think we're now on 25. So yeah. big numbers for, <laughs> for ourselves there. So really want to thank you for that. I think just to, to put some kind of context of the time, we have just watched turn 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 mm-hmm. that's just been broadcast over here and oh my god probably the best uh, episode best so episode far, so far yeah. of agents of shield absolutely loved it it was just so exciting yeah. we really enjoyed your your podcast as well of that episode mm-hmm. i'm really just thinking you know when it comes to our turn doing it week in week out for gotham how on earth we're going to do it. We're going to look, go around looking like we've sort of not had sleep for probably about 25 years or something. <laughs> well, if we can do it as well as the guys do it, we'll be delighted. So obviously, welcome on board to all the agents that have, that are listeners to Welcome to Level 7. Absolutely. And secondly, if you don't listen to Welcome, Le- welcome to Level 7 and you have any interest at all in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the other MCU. Go and check out Welcome to Level 7. It's welcometolevel7.com. The 7 is spelled out, as they always tell you in each episode. (laughs) But uh, but go check them out and give them some love. Say hi from us. And we may be sending a a packet of penguins over for the the tea breaks that they they must surely have when... (laughs) When they're doing a, a podcast. Yeah, I think we'll have to separate the boxes because uh, the guys are in two different sides of America, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, pick up, pick right. up a penguin. <laughs> and that's us. Thanks again, guys. Uh, on to the news. Now for a City Watch news brief here on GCN. So there's a tiny bit of uh, Gotham news this week, um, and to be honest, there's not really been too much since all the pictures, both official and unofficial, were released of the shooting uh, and recording of the Gotham series. Yeah, it's going to come into a bit of a fallow period at the yeah, moment after, the, after all the photographs were released. But um, the one thing that we are expecting from um, Fox and, and Warner Brothers is to get a release, an expected release date, and that will be between 12th and 14th of May, it's mm-hmm. been um, indicated to us. Now, that's just for the USA, 
But obviously, uh, we'll also be keeping an eye out for Ireland and the UK to see uh, when the possible release date um, would come for Gotham as well. Yeah, we've reached out to Fox UK to hopefully get some kind of answer as to when they may may broadcast it. But the way our schedule is working, the UK and Ireland, is that anybody could buy the rights to the show, really. So it's not necessarily going to go on to Fox UK. It's not necessarily going to go on to Sky or BBC or Channel 4. It's really just about who who buys the rights. So it could be a while before we know, but at least we hopefully will have an announcement about Fox US broadcasting. Yeah, and it'll be interesting just to see if there's any delay at all between when it's broadcast in the US and when it's broadcast, obviously, in, in Europe. I mean, generally and in increasingly now the the period or the lag time certainly for bigger shows is coming down to the point where say for game of thrones it's the same day yeah and certain things like uh, netflix are now broadcasting tv shows where they're buying the rights to broadcast them the day after the broadcast in the u.s so you know we're crossing our fingers that we're going to be very close to the u.s and and broadcast times only another tiny bit of 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 gotham news this week about uh, john stevens who was a former writer on the oc he wrote about 12 episodes of that show so obviously worked with ben mckenzie he was also uh, involved with Gossip Girl and the Gilmore, the Gilmore uh, Girls, Gossip. which I hasten to add, <laughs> I didn't really watch. I, <laughs> I only know that from my research. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, he's, he's struck a deal with uh, with Warner Brothers Pictures because obviously they're quite confident in this guy. They've given him a deal for two years to work on their projects. But specifically within that, as, a, as part of the contract, he gets to work as executive producer on Gotham, which is, uh, which is a, good, a good call, I think. Also, following hot on the heels of Bruce Timm's tribute to Batman in his 75th year, Batman Strange Days, came Darwin Cook's Batman Beyond tribute as well, which was um, only a minute long. Mm -hmm. Um, It ties in and bookending the 75 years of Batman with Bruce Timm's sort of period piece right at the beginning in the 1930s, 1939, and now through to now Darwin Cook's Batman Beyond, which is set right in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and you start to see an old Bruce Wayne and you see all the different Batmans that have appeared over the 75 years. Yeah. Really it's, cool. It's a brilliant, a brilliant job. One of the cool things about Batman Beyond, I suppose that's one minute short. Uh, one of the cool things about it is that he does a, a great job of kind of tying up every Batman that you could possibly have seen over the 75 years, even as a fan. Um, there are some of the Batmans that are in there at the end, the, the robot Batmans, where he puts you know ten of them in a line, and there I could probably name a good seven, yeah, good seven. Yeah. But there's a couple that have eluded me. <laughs> I've watched but you've it many got times. animated series Batman. Mm-hmm. You've got Adam West Batman. Yeah, he's my favorite. You've a got doubt. Keaton's Batman as well. Mm-hmm. So there's really great synopsis within almost ten seconds of Batman's seventy-five years, and it just helps bookend the start with Bruce Timm and now Darwin Cook's uh, animated short sort of the end and everything in between from 1939 absolutely really good it makes me wish they were doing a 75th anniversary animated series you know where they were going to explore all the full 75 years of, of Batman as fat if you haven't seen it we have it up on our website go to gotontvpodcast.com you'll see it up there you'll see both, both exactly and I think for the the next uh, news section I think we'll come back as well with some more news about the events of Batman 75 and its celebration and provide some more detail yeah there's loads absolutely loads 
Uh, kind of in the other, other big news section is uh, is Superman versus Batman, or Batman versus Superman, or Batman and Superman, or Justice League, whatever the heck the movie's called now. Um, <laughs> they've just added uh, just added Ray Fisher as Cyborg, so they've added another member of the Justice League to the cast. So we've we've already heard about Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot. Uh, as Wonder Woman. Exactly. Uh, we've already heard about Ben Affleck as Batman in this movie that was intended to be a sequel to Man of Steel, the first Superman movie. So they're really... Like, we know about Henry Cavill and there's obviously Jesse Eisenberg as well as Lex as Luthor. Lex Luthor. And there's been a bit of controversy from fans not kind of liking it. But I mean, sure, look, we've not even seen him and he's great. Um, yeah, and then he's a great actor, yeah. Jeremy Irons, or as I like to know him, Jeremy's <laughs> Irons. Um, <laughs> Anagram. There's there's one for the Simpsons fans in there, <laughs> uh, as playing playing the Alfred in this film. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, sorry, I couldn't resist. It's one of my favorite ever quotes from the Simpsons <laughs> regarding Jeremy Irons. Um, but, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, it, it's great news that they cast Cyborg. I mm-hmm. I really really interested to see someone bring that character to as much life as you can bring life to a robot, I <laughs> well, suppose. Yeah. Uh, but you go check out Agents or, or of a Shield. cyborg human. But, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are already doing it. Sorry. Well, that's true. Uh, with with Deathlock. Matlock? <laughs> no, Deathlock. Ah, Deathlock, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Watch closely. Looking forward to seeing what they do, bringing Cyborg in, because I think it's one of those things. I, I think generally in DC as a whole, I think they need to bring a bit more of a spotlight onto mm. some of these characters. I mean, you look at what happened with Iron Man, who was a property of of Marvel's that wasn't something they Any... thought they would make money from, or it would be as interesting and as successful as it has been. One of the issues for DC is they have literally got these two iconic characters in Superman and Batman that they have focused on so frequently. And that's great, because they they can deal with that, but maybe with these TV shows like Arrow, like Flash, and like Constantine, and with bringing in Cyborg, we, we maybe just start to get a, a fuller picture. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by Cyborg is Cyborg within the film is yeah. that we get a, a fuller picture of of more of these DC characters that you know I think in some cases have been absent for for too long. Absolutely, yeah, and I think. Uh... You know, the one thing they have said about about Cyborg is that he's going to play a minor, a bigger than a cameo, but a minor role in the film. So, so we're probably not going to get a Justice League movie right now. They're probably just setting it up. Again, with Wonder Woman, they've said she's cast. And we know who she is. She's already been doing a few interviews about it. So, you know, this is becoming quite a big film. And, you know, when you've got your biggest property, Superman and Batman in a film, and all these other characters are starting to look... Well, Wonder Woman incredible. is a big prophecy absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it all leads to, hopefully, a great section of characters that are being brought in and hopefully going to get spin-off movies and hopefully going to get you know, the, the kind of respect they deserve as characters. We really need a breaking news klaxon in here. So we finished recording the podcast and suddenly the news came out that there is actually going to be a Justice League film. We kind of speculated about yeah. it in the previous news story. But today, the president of Worldwide Production for Warner Brothers, uh, Greg Silverman, announced that there will be a Justice League of America film coming up very soon. After uh, Superman versus Batman. It seems that the casting announcement of Cyborg that we just mentioned was the first step in the Justice League movie. Uh, it looks like they're going to 
recorded directly after Batman versus Superman, and that it's going to be uh, it's going to be helmed by uh, Snyder, by, isn't it? Yeah, by Zack Snyder. Zack yeah. Snyder, and have Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. Yes, um, who's also sounds like a Superman villain, um, <laughs> which is the coolest Earth name. I Absolutely. think Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. I like it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, but really exciting news. It's all over. It's just that the internet exploded this morning um, directly after we recorded an episode, of course. So. Uh, but we don't want to No, the internet in. didn't yeah. actually explode, John. Yeah. <laughs> We've kind of talked about our, our hopes for a Justice League movie and for the DC Universe at, at large um, as it goes forward uh, already. So we're not going to go too much too, too much deeper into that. But uh, this is really exciting news to have you know this connected. Exactly. Connected and it's basically scheduled that it would be released in 2017 mm. that's the the current thinking and feeling on the streets is a 2017 release after batman versus superman yeah yeah like it's really cool i think there's a, a couple of pieces that i've seen already on the internet one of our commenters daniel butcher uh, again has suggested that the rock might play the the next green lantern which is uh, john stewart I've, yeah. I've seen other suggestions that The Rock's going to play somebody else who's going to play um, play Black Adam or he's going to play Shazam in this kind of film. It just looks like everybody wants everybody wants the uh, the Rock to be in in Justice League. But yeah, let us know your thoughts. Well, we'll just just have seems to, to be see. yeah, there seems to be so many thoughts out there on the internet. We'll um, we'll gather them all together and hopefully present a bit more detail as uh, as the months and years leading up to this movie are uh, unfold. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. Film released in 2017. <laughs> in three years' time, there'll be a film. Right, cool. Back to your regularly scheduled news program. What else have we been doing this week? Um, this week, I've been... Well, we've been playing games. Playing games um, this week. Cold Cold Heart, the DLC, that came out this week uh, for Batman Ar- Arkham Origins. We downloaded it this week, was intending to play it, but I'd already started playing Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate, which I've mentioned on the website as a, as coming soon. I thought it was going to be a quick play for a couple of hours. Costs, you know, 20, 20 euro. I thought it was going to be a play, quick play for... You know, three, four hours. Have but it we're done. so bad at video games <laughs> that it's taken us like no. hours. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to do. It's such a detailed game. Really, really enjoying it. But um, I'm gonna hopefully have a review for the website in the next couple of days. Um, pretty close to the end. I'm really at that yeah. exciting point where I'm really close to the it's end. It's a nice well. little game. Yeah, it's really just nice. It's kind of I wasn't expecting it to be as well, engaging. Apart from the batarangs in people's yeah. faces, that's not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, no, but I, like it's it's a it's a nice little game to sink your teeth in for <laughs> two, three, four hours. Yeah, it feels like a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really enjoying it though. And we've also started Cold Cold Pass as well. Yeah, which is a great little story centering on Mister Freeze and um, why he is in Gotham, why is he is up against Batman. Probably have a bit more news on that, or probably put up a, a little post on that on the website pretty soon. Uh, yeah, once we get a bit more into that one. But there's just a lot. We only have two sets of hands and uh, and, and one PlayStation 3, so can't yeah, play them all. Exactly. Um, but coming up soon. We were at MCM Comic-Con in the RDS, which is a conference center in, in Ireland. And we had a really good time. I mean, I have to That's say right. now, we kind of, we got our passes. We went down. We didn't quite know what to expect. This was the first time that MCM was in Ireland. Mm. And we had a really good weekend. We went Saturday 
and Sunday. The cosplay there was uh, amazing, and if you've seen some of our posts up on Facebook, on Google+, on Twitter, you will see some of the great costumes that people took time and effort to, to produce really good we saw warwick davis on the sunday and mm-hmm. um, talking about his you know his roles in star wars obviously in willow in harry potter he also then talked about his roles in tv as well particularly british tv such as extras and uh, life's too short uh, edit abroad yeah. with carl pilkington yeah. as well so that, that was really quite interesting it was very noisy. There was a lot of people in those rooms, so it was quite difficult to hear everything that, that he was saying. No, exactly. And then there was some excellent artwork and, and artists there as well, which we got some excellent prints there from Matthew J. Fletcher. Like he'd come over from the States. Some really good ones of the Joker and Batman framed by the borders of playing cards. Yeah. Really good. Spent a lot of money there. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Fun. Then there was Robert Carey with this great off-print from Iron Man and Hulk. Mm-hmm. Really good. You can follow these people on Twitter. But some really talented artists um, just doing sketches for people on the day and yeah. um, selling some of their prints, selling some of their original work. And um, certainly there was the really good Joe Chiodo print. It's not print, sort of original, I should say, of the Black Widow and Daredevil. And there were all these people, they're really passionate about what they were doing, mm. really just sitting down, chatting with everyone. It was really great to see. Yeah, it's one of the best um, things to do when you go along to a comic convention. Just do not be afraid to go and approach a comic book artist and talk to them about their work because they are, they are willing to talk to you for as long as, you're, as, as you want to listen to them. These guys were really interesting and got, got to chat with them for a while. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a really excellent part of the weekend, actually, was, was looking at what they were doing and, and sitting down yeah. or just having a quick chat with them and so on. Yeah. They were also close to the bar as well, so that kind of helped. So, you know, if you want to take some uh, weight off your feet, then it was easy to do as well. <laughs> um, and speaking of comics, uh, Free Comic Book Day is coming up um, this this week, so as we're recording. So it's coming up... Um, first, 3rd of May. Yeah, first weekend of May, so first Saturday of May. Get down to your local comic book shop. There's free comics for you. Uh, exactly. Why not? This... We've put up a, a post on our, on our website about mm-hmm. this. You know, you can go down, you can see whether your local comic store is, is participating, but it's a really good way of introducing people to comics, picking up some new issues or and new characters that you would never have thought of picking up before. Yeah. And and getting some great some great little storylines or intros to big D C stuff and big Marvel stuff. They've, exactly. they've always got a good intro issue. And also it also shows you that the uh, that the shops aren't scary places. They're fun places where people hang out and, and read good comics. And you don't know what else you might pick up whilst you're there. And mm-hmm. um, exploring different comics. So we definitely recommend that people engage with free comic book day. Free stuff's always good. Exactly. And that, speaking of free stuff, brings us on to a little competition we're going to do and run with our listeners. We're going to give out a signed print by Matthew J. Fletcher of The Penguin to the person who provides the the best feedback and comments that we bring and integrate and discuss on the show. We've got some this week, for example... We will do this up until the the first episode of Gotham, the TV show, once it's released, and we will announce the winner on that first show. Yeah, this really is a beautiful print. We'll put it up on our in our show notes. We'll put it up on the Facebook page and on, on Twitter so you can have a look at it. But yeah, it's it's about you guys interacting with the show. You know, as I said, as John said, we've already got some uh, feedback for this week. 
we will be looking for feedback from now until the show airs. Yeah, so we'll provide more details up on, on our website um, for you to, to look at and hopefully get involved with. You can comment in any way. You can contact us through our Facebook page, through Twitter, through our email address. If you don't buy it, we haven't got big fangs or anything. <laughs> so we're nice people. So please... I um, to cut my nails. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. <laughs> but speaking as well then of feedback, we've also... Uh, not only do we have some feedback that we want to discuss here uh, on the podcast, but also we want to just give a shout out to ALB for feedback and a review on iTunes. Yeah, This was provided on the UK and Ireland site yeah. of iTunes. So we just want to give a big thanks for the really nice review that um, was given by ALB. Yeah, it's, it's always good to get uh, get reviews on iTunes. It helps people uh, people see our podcast. So uh, if you guys are listening to us through iTunes, which I know some of you are, pop on and give us a little review and, uh, and hopefully some other people will see us then. It'd be great. And thanks, ALB. So I want some feedback. Not only did uh, did Ben and Daniel from Welcome to Level 7 give us a shout-out in the show, they've also both given us bits of feedback to read out this week. So, from Ben Avery, I have two thoughts about the genius and potential genius of the Gotham TV show. First, the genius. Everything I'm seeing about this show makes it feel almost like this could connect to more than one iteration of the Batman mythos. Or mythos. This is not directly tied into the Nolan movies, but without a Joker or a Ra's al Ghul. Uh, Ra's al Ghul, maybe? I'm never sure. Ra's al Ghul. Ra's or Ra's? This could be prequel material to that, or even Superman versus Batman. It's not a perfect fit as far as canon goes, probably, but it's myth-building, if not continuity-building, and I like that, including child Bruce Wayne. Like we said, uh, makes for a new and different storytelling experience. So what do you think about that kind of that point? I think it's a really interesting point. I think, um, you know, we had kind of discussed briefly about how this might connect in with certainly the TV shows and even the films but I think this builds on that even further just this idea that you can you can generate some of the mythos and I think with the new 52 issues of Batman that there is this movement within DC at the moment a bit like with the Frank Miller stuff that we discussed in Batman year one where it's about adding depth to the whole environment and the story and the characters looking at Bruce Wayne as an orphan child immediately after uh, his parents uh, Thomas and Martha's death seeing the the character building of that um, and how that plays out adds more depth to ultimately Bruce Wayne as an adult but also then the the reasons for what Batman does and yeah. defending and fighting crime in Gotham so that to me is a really interesting take and I, I think it's this overall aspect of building this this depth within the storytelling yeah. and the characters and the whole piece about the Batman mythos you know it's not just Batman it is about the villains you know and this show has the opportunity to establish some characters who can then be brought into the wider DC movie universe, I suppose. You know? Yeah, and that's one of my most interesting aspects of this is to see how they deal with the villains because, okay, it might not necessarily be Poison Ivy yet. It mm -hmm. might not necessarily be the Riddler. Mm -hmm. It may be uh, Edward Nigma, but you just don't know how they're going to deal with these characters. Yeah. Maybe but it's something love... shocking. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's something shocking from Selina Kyle. I mean, you have to think that TV at the moment is exploring darker themes. I'm not saying as dark as, say, Hannibal, for example, but the, theme... <laughs> no, but the themes are increasingly becoming dark and they're not shying away from that darkness 
borderline horror aspect. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but the idea that this TV show won't or, or can't explore some of the darker recesses of the younger versions of these characters that we know as adults. I mean, this idea that a you know a psychopath might tear off the wings of a butterfly or, or do cruelty to animal. Yeah. You know, maybe they explore this type of thing yeah. for some of the characters. It's interesting how they'll do it. And for me, that is one of the more exciting aspects of this, is to Absolutely. see the origins of these villains. Yeah, and I love I love Ben's suggestion here that you would you could have a fully formed character who's been formed on uh, on the TV show, one of the villains, and walking onto a movie set and being there without having to do an origin story for him there. And I think that is certainly the case for the Penguin as well at the end, or at least Oswald Cobblepot. I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't someone who's under sixteen. This is a person who is an adult, yeah. is in a sense fully formed, but is still developing as a character in the sense that we know him within the current mythos Mm -hmm. of the story. And you could argue that could be the same with a Dr. Freeze. They don't all have to come from teenagers or or children. They could also be young adults as well, or fully formed. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Really interesting point. Good point, yeah. Um, and the other piece is obviously about the potential genius, which is a similar, a similar point that we just talked about there because we, uh, we obviously are on a similar wavelength to, to Ben here. So it's exactly about the potential genius. I've been thinking about the different TV shows and the upcoming movie and had a thought. If they're not planning it, fine, but it works even if they aren't. So we have Gotham, Flash and Arrow, all tied into possible Justice League characters. What if these three series are happening concurrently? While Jim rises in Gotham, Arrow is in Starling City, and Flash is running around like he does. And it's all in the past of Man of Steel and Superman versus Batman. Uh, so when Justice League assembles, it's Man of Steel's Henry Cavill and an old grizzled Green Arrow. And it's Wally West's Flash. And then Ben Affleck's origin story we've seen on TV. So complete new actors can be used on the big screen, but they're all connected to the small, to the small screen. It's great enjoyment if you watch both, but no loss of enjoyment if you don't. Yeah, it's, really, it's a really good way of it all connecting, really. You could almost argue without even trying, you know, it could be done in that way. You don't necessarily have to have this A to B to C where you're being told you can you can make that leap yourself. Yeah. And I think that's really It's a really, really, it's a really good concept. Yeah, I really like it. And then the rest of the email is just praise, 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 which we love as well. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that, Ben. And if anybody else wants to email us praise, we're delighted to get it. <laughs> and then we also then received some feedback from from daniel on our last episode and that right? was on our last uh, podcast episode four where we looked at issues one to ten of gotham central mm. and it's really interesting just that you know he had actually bought and read through the entire series and it was fresh in his mind sort of digging into these issues. I think we had mentioned the judge seeing Rennie Montoya come into the courtroom uh, and that she had been in his courtroom before. Daniel kind of makes a point that he'd only thought of her being there as a police officer, but we had looked at a, a greyer version of the character or a darker version of that character um, where maybe she'd been in that courtroom for, for other reasons. Daniel kind of makes a point that there's a grey added aspect to his sort of interpretation and him reading these stories for himself and i think that's great that we hopefully can add some new perspectives and i think in looking at all this stuff it's about different perspectives things that derek thinks about or or looks is something different from what i do Mm -hmm. in the sense of getting feedback there from daniel 
you know, we've given him a new perspective. We certainly get new perspectives off their podcast from Welcome to Level Seven. Yeah. So it's really it's really nice to 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 have that kind of discussion and to feel that your contribution to someone else's interpretation of a set of comics and, yeah. and vice versa. Absolutely. So. Like as as we've said last week, you know, there's forty issues of this of this series. We're actually reading them. You know, similar to the way you would read a combined graphic novel, we're reading them kind of on that kind of level. You know, about about ten issues at a time. We're not reading through all forty and then trying to remember what, what happened in issue one. So some of the things we'll pick up on will, would be things that you might not pick up on if you're reading all the way through. And obviously, you guys give us give us all the feedback uh, that you want to about these issues. Exactly. So again, so, if you want to provide us with any feedback on what we've discussed in any of the previous podcasts or from this podcast, you're more than welcome to to leave feedback with us. Yeah, um, email us at gothamtvpodcast at gmail dot com, or uh, obviously go onto Twitter. You can see us there. And with that, I think that's a pretty good lead into our review section. Daydreams and Believers is issue 11 of the 40-issue Gotham Central arc. And this is written by Ed Brubaker. But in this case, the art is by Brian Hurt. So there's a slight difference in in the art. Mm. And certainly the cover reminds me very much a bit of sort of an Andy Warhol-esque comic pain uh, that you would see. Within this issue, it's just a single story arc following uh, introduction of a temp within the MCU called Stacy. Mm. She is writing to her best friend Meg about her life within the MCU, uh, but also her fantasies or her daydreams within the MCU, particularly of Batman, and the belief that she has of the people and the employees of Gotham City Police Department, and in particular, the Major Crimes Unit, the MCU. With that, I suppose that's one of the main things about this. I was very much wondering, is this simply just a filler between the last one, which was, I mean, really hard-hitting, has some really deep themes uh, in Half a Life. Was this just a filler between this and the the whole next series of Soft Targets are, where you get introduced to another big character? I just kind of, I was very much expecting it to be that filler. And as I read it, I kind of went, this is someone looking from the outside in to yeah. the major crimes unit and yeah. how they tick and how they interact. And it's a bit of a commentary, really. Yeah, she's not a detective. She's not. She's got no other job other than to be the intern. But when you read through it, you can read through it very quickly. It just seems to be, you know, a young girl in her fantasies about Batman, basically. But... Then you start you start piecing together the interrelationships between the other the members of the Gotham City PD. Uh, it gives you lots of details in their backgrounds. You know? It's it's a different perspective, and I think that's really important because you very much get the perspective of the detectives. Mm. Of you get the perspective of Batman, and you get perspective of the villains. But this is almost just nothing to do. This is like you or I were in the comic book. It's almost written from that perspective where you have no history with the police department or with the canon. And it's a commentary. And she talks about the bond between the partners, for example, and how that can be stronger than some marriages or even their own marriage. And it's really important, I think. We left the last arc half a life with Christmas Allen and his new partner, Josephine McDonald, who he's 
getting her name wrong all the time. And this sheds a bit of light on that, that Josephine's now been with the with the department for three months. Uh, Rena Montoya hasn't returned after the after that last incident. But she's still being pranked like a rookie by the rest of the team. It normally would have given up by now. But in this arc, even though it's just told from a different perspective, she starts to kind of stand up to Chris Pasalan. She starts to tell him, if you continue to call me Mackenzie, I am not going to ride in the car with you. I'm not going <laughs> to go with you uh, anymore. So she's finally standing up to Detective Allen, which seemed to be quite a difficult thing. And I yeah. think, and you know, it comes across to Stacy anyway that that's, uh, that they're becoming best of friends, and he's starting to see her as his new partner. That's the thing, and I, th- I think um, I mean it loosely connects then between the previous arc and the events, uh, and it gives you very loose sort of insights as as Derek said about Josie McDonald, but it even goes back as far as in the line of fire with Marcus Driver and, and Mr. Freeze, and you see that Freeze is in court and, mm. and Driver is testifying, and just this idea that, well, it doesn't matter. He's a costume freak. He's a weirdo. He's just going to get put into it the asylum rather than into a prison. Yeah, Marcus Marcus is sitting getting cross-examined and he's asked, is it rational that Mr. Freeze would be doing that? Obviously, his lawyer is looking for a plea bargain here and that um, Mr. Freeze would be classed as crazy. Marcus Driver says, is it rational behavior to freeze people and smash them into bits? I'd have to say no, but I don't care. He killed cops. He killed my partner. If he was just some street bunk, he'd be on death row by now. But because of who he is, because he's a freak, no matter what I say up here, he's just going to be carted off to Arkham and get and get a chance to do this all over again. It's a really interesting little insight. It brings you back to those first two issues. And, and that's a really good connective tissue within this whole set of comics, I think. Later on, we'll discuss about connective tissue and whether there is some mm-hmm. uh, for some of the stories that we've done. But this, this really does connect with what's happened previously and introduces some new stuff like any good workplace needs to have a, a love triangle mm-hmm. within the office and you start to see that as the the girl who's there as a temp she's kind of slightly in the background not necessarily everyone takes notice of her but she's aware she's clued in and she sees that there's a love triangle between uh romy chandler marcus driver and detective uh nate as well um so that's kind of interesting it's something we didn't kind of know before and it kind of introduces you to to that idea yeah well do you know what i found was really fun i love that what romy's actual job is so while she's a temp and while she does <laughs> do the typing and find out where everybody is all the time her actual job is to turn on the bat symbol because the Gotham City PD can't be seen knowingly involving Batman in their investigations. Yeah, to acknowledge him and that yeah. kind of thing. So, so her, her job is to flick a switch, essentially. So for bureaucratic reasons, she's <laughs> she's a public servant, like exactly. well, like, like many people, many people, um, <laughs> including myself. I hasten to add. Um, that's really interesting. But I mean, I I think so. The title sums it up. It, it, she's very much this believer. She is a believer of Gotham City Police Department's mm-hmm. major crime unit. He, she's really positive about the the MCU uh, and it, it's given that impression that there are you know these professional personal kind of complex relationships that are going on and not everyone necessarily likes one another such as Christmas Allen detective Cohen plays practical jokes but despite all these complex interactions personally and professionally and despite the sort of heinous crimes that they have to deal with those awful crimes they they maintain sort of a lightheartedness, a, a, a levity in their jobs. They're kind of straight talking down the line, 
uh, and they're really tight-knit squad and a tight-knit unit. The impression you get from Stacy is that you know she's a member of the public, she's a temp, and she has a bit of hope and faith that in a rotten city like Gotham, there are people who are, are doing good and, and looking to get justice. And, and that, to me, is the believer's part. She has this general belief. If we want to talk about her daydreams, she's obviously a perv <laughs> and has the hearts for Batman. Yeah. She yeah. likes role play. <laughs> yeah, guy in a mask. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that it the, the, takes her away from that reality is ultimately what I'm saying is yeah takes her away from that reality of being a lonely girl in the city exactly yeah. and the case of the week at the at, you know at first instance looks like quite a gruesome case tiny Maxwell is a prisoner who gets released uh, as opposed to large Maxwell <laughs> hold me closer tiny Maxwell yeah exactly. um, now he gets released from prison to go and uh, pay his respects because his mother's passed away and then ends off running away and stealing the hearse with the body of Mr. Peterson in the back of the car. Yeah, this is the Peterson case, and it's is it Sergeant Davis. The, yeah. He's the guy with the moustache, and yeah, one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I think in the in the arc. And it's just really funny because it's like, as all great criminals do, they don't necessarily think that they've done anything wrong. So he escapes. And what does he do? Rather than go into hiding, he decides to go to his, his local pub, his local bar, and go for a beer with yeah. some of his mates. So he gets caught immediately. He tells them where the hearse is that he did his, his getaway in. Yeah. But then the coffin's no longer there. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Who the heck is still in this body in the city? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it seems really gruesome. And you're wondering, you know, is it is it going to be something that, you know, someone's using the body for a Frankenstein-esque yeah. thing? Or... But then it turns out that it's a bunch of kids who have still in the coffin to use it in their haunted house to make it the scariest haunted house in Gotham. Now I know Gotham it's is Gotham a w- High, isn't it? It's like their their high school event, yeah. and they've got a real life. But I, but I know Gotham's a, like a bad city, you know. I, but stealing an actual dead body to make to yeah. make your your uh, haunted house more scary, it would scare me. You know that best Halloween ever i think um, but what did you think of the of the overall issue like i know we talked about it a little bit that it did feel a little bit like a filler episode when i read through it to begin with but it does give quite a lot of details of this it does team. i think it's really important that there there is an a different perspective there's an outside perspective looking in at all of this it gives a different angle on everything you're reading about. And Stacy continues within the other issues that we're going to discuss mm. in a moment to me that's important i think you know to have that commentary, that outsider looking in on the lives of these detectives who ultimately can get caught up in their their own thing. And I think that's kind of one of the ways it's written. And so as a reader, you can also get taken into that Absolutely. as well. So this just provides a little sort of beat where you kind of get a fresh perspective. Yeah. And that can inform then reading the other issues or you can have a another little think about the previous issues yeah. as is done with the driver in the freeze incident the josie mcdonald's being called mackenzie all the time mm-hmm. and even just this whole then love triangle between romy driver and and nate it's a fresh perspective it's a different perspective and actually it saved the issue from just being a pure filler absolutely and absolutely i think i think one of the points i've made about about gotham central uh, overall is that it's a huge cast of characters you know it's not just following batman it's not just following jim gordon there is a huge cast of character here to keep in your head i think an issue like this where you've got a character who's focusing on each of the 
other people that are in the GCPD and the Major Crimes Unit. Because she's absolutely talking about them with their individual names, which helps you to focus on them a lot more than you would have previously, possibly. I think this is a really necessary kind of issue. It's not one of my favourites so far. It's no. probably, you know, if I was to give it a rating, it's probably in the kind of... Uh, late twos early threes it's a bit of it's a recommend to read if you're going to read the rest of the the rest of the issues but i wouldn't recommend picking it up on its own no i i would say it's a three definitely say it's a recommend if you're invested within the full 40 issues Mm -hmm. and because a you've paid for it so you might as well read it but b (laughs) i do think it elevates beyond just some kind of filler comic but you wouldn't just go out and buy it or if you did you would kind of think what have i bought here because there, there is no big villain. There's no big Batman yeah. or show off with a villain with the GCPD involved. It's another person's perspective on that. But I think for yeah. a series of 40 comics, that is a useful perspective to have. Yeah, and I think you know something that we mentioned last time was that Brubaker and, uh, and Rooker wanted to turn this into a TV show. This is, absolutely feels like one of those episodes of the TV show where you just go, that was nice, got a bit of a character fill out move on to the next episode where the big bad comes in, which leads us quite neatly on to Soft Targets. And Soft Targets is issues 12 to 15 of Gotham Central. So the overall synopsis of Soft Targets is that a sniper is on the loose in Gotham. He's taking out high-profile targets uh, with the city under lockdown during the run-up to Christmas. It's up to the MCU to deal with the PR nightmare that follows and find out who's at root of the attacks before the killer ruins Christmas for everyone with his larger plan. So what do you think of this one? This was a really good story arc, actually, mm. Soft Targets. It opens in chilling fashion with Mayor Dickerson being essentially shot and gunned down by a sniper right in front of Commissioner Atkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trying to. So the, the mayor is trying to reduce the funds for Scotland City PD. He's trying to stop their overtime. And, you know, right in the middle of what seems like the most mundane conversation or the most. I suppose, really a normal political conversation, the kind you would have seen in The Wire. You see it, and then suddenly, as the commissioner was walking out the door putting his coat on... The brains start to fly as mm-hmm. the, the mayor is shot through the head. It's kind of ironic, considering that he doesn't want overtime for the detectives who would ultimately be investigating his death. Yeah, so while, yeah, while they start their investigation... There's another assassination, if you want to call it that, but this time it's a school superintendent. And actually one of the funny things that uh, Marcus Driver comes out with, who are they going to target next? You know, the chief of sanitation. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, head dinner lady. I mean, who knows where the, you know, <laughs> the librarian. Who knows where this is going to end? But it, it, it seems a... A slightly less high-profile target than the one previously. Mm-hmm. There is this aspect: is Superintendent Purnell's attack a cover for the assassination of the mayor, or vice versa? Mm. So there's this discussion amongst the detectives: is, is one of the assassinations a cover for something larger or unknown? Because there is this idea that Mayor Dickerson has done some filthy bad deals; he's corrupt, and maybe they're coming to bite him back. And that Pennell's death is essentially a cover for that. And maybe there will be more sniper attacks after this. Yeah, I think one of the things we've talked about with the Gotham TV show and with, you know, our perception of Gotham and all of our previous kind of reading of, of, uh, of Batman and stuff is that there is this air of corruption that seems to lead everywhere in Gotham. So the assumption is made here that Mayor Dickerson gets shot because he's corrupt, that potentially Superintendent Parnell gets shot because he's corrupt as well. 
it's just this feeling that they start to get and they start to integrate and it turns out that's not really the reason that there's no connected reason for this other than to make sure the police are investigating this case exactly and actually at the Pernell crime scene then it ends up where they think they have the whole murder scene secured but they don't and the mm. sniper is still out there yeah again it this is one of the things i really like about these comics is that yes they are standalone issues but it always pulls you back to previous stuff mm. and what you're reading now you just don't know whether it's going to come back and and be of significance or even just a passing little comment yeah it's all, in, it's in all future episodes so it's all connected is what you're saying it is all connected but it's connected not only with regards to the storyline but also personal side of it as well because what happens is that you get two of the coroners shot dead but you also get one of the mcu forensic police officers shot as well uh nora is is her name and she gets her, her hand shot off i mean something really proper brutal mm. And we know Nora from as being Charlie Field's wife from the the first issue, and this brings back Marcus Driver as one of the investigating detectives, and he is feeling absolutely distraught because he hasn't given her enough time since her husband's death, and he is kind of slightly racked by guilt. It it just shows him being by her side in the hospital waiting for her while surgery is being performed to save her life and to fix her up from this incident. And I think it's a really interesting throwback to the first issue. Uh, and I think that's something that these comics do continuously. Yeah. And, it, and that makes it quite engaging and involving, I think, for everyone. So I suppose it's not very, not very long before they find out who the uh, assassin may be. Inside the sniper's nest for where Nora had been shot from, they find a computer which has, which has an image on it saying Batman for Mayor. There's a whole load of text and it's obvious that it's coming from the Joker and all of a sudden you have it's the Joker mm -hmm. and it brings the whole mechanisms of the police but also then the mayor's office and the media into sort of overdrive. If it wasn't already like that because the mayor had just been assassinated, you've got a replacement mayor, Mayor Hull mm -hmm. um, and this just immediately starts to provide huge fear um, and anxiety that gets generated by the knowledge that this is now the Joker involved. Yeah, because until... he's, he's crazy. They don't know yeah. what he's going to do. So Lieutenant Probson hears about it, grabs Stacy, who we met in the last issue, uh, grabs her, drags her upstairs. They turn on the, the bat signal. Batman already knows that the Joker is the one. He's already there. He's there in a second. He jumps and saves Stacy from being shot by the Joker who has been waiting in another bird's nest or another sniper nest to take them out. Joker tries to kill Lieutenant Probeson and Stacy, who are saved by Batman. Exactly, and it's a really interesting slant to the Joker as a villain anyway. He doesn't care that the police know mm -hmm. that it's him. He leaves a computer at his sniper nest where he takes out not only Superintendent Purnell, but also then the forensic team and coroners. He leaves a laptop there with Batman Vermeer and this whole jokey aspect to it. Yeah. He's ultimately a psychopath, so he doesn't care that the police know it's him. In fact, that's part of the game for him. Exactly. And this elevates the whole response to being one driven by fear, panic, because as well, the media 
starts to get drawn in. Absolutely. Shockingly enough, uh, Gotham has its own version of Fox um, or Sky News, <laughs> as we have it over here. They have their version, which is which is Angie Molina, who's the uh, who's kind of the head reporter for for their Fox News, uh, GKLX News. They have twenty four hour rolling coverage. They bring in the experts, and I'm using air quotes in that. Yeah. They bring in the experts to talk about it and keep putting the pressure on the mayor. They keep putting the pressure on Gotham City PD to solve this crime and find out who did it and catch the criminal. And as soon as it's the Joker, then it's Rennie Montoya and Crispus Allen that get given the assignment. And there's a really great commentary that comes from Rennie Montoya after Allen refers to this whole media circus. And he kind of goes, and then the, the circus came to town. And Montoya responds with, where have you been, Chris? This town has always been a circus. It's just the attractions that change. And it is that really great idea that all these villains, the Joker, Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, the Penguin, the Riddler, are all just these sort of attractions to the media that are bigger than life, massive personalities that just elevate their humdrum news and that they latch onto to provide the the ratings. And that's a really interesting commentary, I think. Mm. So I suppose for for me anyway, this is one of the kind of exciting things. Renan Montoya and Crispus Allen seem to be really coming out as quite central characters to this particular arc of Gotham Central. This yeah. whole the whole comic book series, they they seem quite central characters. They've been cast for the TV show, so hopefully we're going to see more of them and more of this this kind of interplay between the two of them because I love it. I love the two of them together. I think they're really uh, they are really, really fascinating characters. So hopefully Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart Jones do a great job as these two characters because I want them to be on the show for five seasons. Of yeah, season I, I think it's here. safe to say that we're really looking forward to seeing how they bring Crispus Allen and Rennie Montoya to life because they're two of the standout detectives in this series, along with Marcus Driver, I think, and Sergeant Davis as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really good. I wonder, will they bring back Funk from The Wire to play him? Yeah, that, that would, would be just awesome. be... That would be really pretty awesome. These two detectives then... They're charged to look after this investigation now that they know that the Joker's involved. And they're starting to sort of trace the gun and where it's come from because they've found some of the rounds Mm -hmm. uh, at the sniper nest. And it's really kind of little cool section where they're in the Gotham City Police Department computer systems. And it's got the, you know, link to the driving license. Is it the... DMV. DMV, that's it. Um, mm-hmm. Or over here, it'd be the DVLA. And that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds weird. But it says connect to Oracle. And you have anyone talking mm-hmm. have you? What's this Oracle thing? That's a really just nice little... Right, nice little touch for the yeah, Batman fans. Yeah, little touch, exactly. Because yeah. um, Oracle being the, uh, the central location of all his data and Barbara Gordon. Exactly. So that's really good. But then what you get is the police computer system suddenly go down and a live feed gets introduced into them of CCTV sort of cameras and Joker has hacked the system and he comes up with it's a great thing it's sniper time I mean if you imagine <laughs> that on breakfast TV oh my God, it's sniper yeah. time with a countdown essentially to the next shot and it's a really for me an interesting twist that kind of 180 from a seemingly who done it to begin with in issue 12 by the end of issue 12 start of issue 13 it's the Joker and the chaos that he is bringing to Gotham and the police department with him involved. So I I find that really, really good. Loves to bring the chaos, doesn't he? I think one Um, other thing we just need to mention is that Lieutenant Probson, Probson, Probson. um, Proby, 
Proby because he was there with Stacy and he asked Stacy to turn on the bat signal after they realized it was the Joker. He has gone into some serious trouble with Captain Sawyer. There's a bit of unprofessional like conduct between the two of them because you need the commissioner's approval to turn it on and he didn't ask for it as soon as he knew it was the joker he went for it and it's very much the attitude was you've got a bunch of reporters downstairs who are trying to cover this thing you've just turned on the bat signal directly upstairs so you're essentially confirming what reporters are thinking about the mcu you just sit there you wait for a big case when a big case comes along you switch on the light and you get the bat to solve it for you why are we even paying the mcu any money the major crimes unit cannot do their job on their own they can't do it without the help of batman so what's the point in paying them the hunt for the Joker is now on, and it's mm-hmm. led by Alan and Montoya. One of the things, though, from this is the, the influence of media on this story arc is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was kind of there going, oh, this really chimes with what happened, certainly in The Dark Knight, with, with the Joker as well. And then all of a sudden, I actually went, but this was written before. I just wonder whether this influenced him whether he actually read it i don't think there's any direct reference to say that he did but to me it just really has a nolan-esque influence and it's also just that vehicle for exposition within the story as well and it reminded me also of the wire as well season five where they introduced the baltimore sun you have the gklx news with as you say angie molina there's continuous references from the major crimes unit from the detectives that Maybe the Joker could put a shot in her head type of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like you're not making our work any easier for, with your hyping oh, of exactly. this event. So obviously, yeah, they got to deal with all that, all of that as well. On top of eight individual video feeds that the Joker puts up of different locations across the city in real time. And he's saying that in a certain countdown period, I think it's three and a half hours, that someone's going to die. Yeah, um, who's next to where the red halo that's he, it. Yeah. It, it is on his feed. So it's just showing how good the GCPD is. They identify seven of the eight pretty quickly. Yeah. Seven of the eight feeds pretty quickly. They go to them. They follow up on all the leads. They get they get a, a SWAT team there, and they make sure that they're covering exactly what's happened, but there's no leads from there. It is literally they find a camera pointed at a particular location uh, with a computer, all set up by the Joker to keep them running around the city. They're crossing them off one by one. He's giving the cops a runaround. They... they eventually go through all of them except one and each one of them has a laptop with batman for mayor and different things and yeah or so, there is another one there's, there's, there's boy wonder for superintendent isn't it yeah 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 That's and it. um there's wrong again guano breath those types of things <laughs> boohoo batley better look next time mm-hmm. they're, they're just not finding them and in looking for these different shots they're looking for the rifle and Rennie and Alan find themselves in a gun shop where it's been sold to a Clem Rusty. They work out that really, really difficult uh, <laughs> pseudonym for the Joker there. Clem Rusty is C. Rusty, the clan. So yeah, exactly. Another Simpsons one. And it's kind of like the, the, the guy in the shop goes, don't you guys share notes? And because the Batman has already been there. And this starts to bring it into another different bit of territory which i think is really important this idea that actually the police the detectives the the commissioner they are of no importance they do not even feature on the radar of the joker because 
this is about him and this is about him and Batman. Mm-hmm. It is not anything to do with the police. An interesting thing because it's this idea of the police almost being potentially pawns on the chessboard. You yeah. know, what is it that they are trying to do? Or will Batman just simply solve this case, bring down the Joker? What, what is the point of a major crimes unit if every one of your criminals is just taken out by the Batman? Yeah. yeah. And it gets to the point where ultimately the acting murmur Hall is like, look, we have to do some kind of publicity stunt here. Mm. They need to satisfy this media frenzy surrounding this because they know it's the Joker. And so they go to round up and arrest the killer clan. Yeah, then they make then they make the point that it's, they make the point that they could have been the groupies. They could have been the support act. Unfortunately, they got the support act. The groupies actually might have known more about the Joker's plan. These these guys know nothing. They're fat, overweight guys who are sitting watching television, getting drunk, and running out of beer in their little apartment, still dressed up in their clan outfits, and they have no idea about Joker's plan. But they're taken in because of a PR stunt for the mayor. And it's it's all done because the media is sensationalizing the whole event. It's kind of like day two, Joker on the rampage, that type of thing. Mm. By the end of issue 14, this, the timer runs out on the screen. But nothing happens mm. on the screen. And then all of a sudden, the counter starts to count up mm-hmm. rather than down. And the computer's begin to show a an image of Angie Molina trussed up upside down in some unknown location. Yeah, I suppose a new yeah. race against the clock to make sure that they get to her before she blows up, I suppose. Yeah, or get shot. Again, this to me just is really Nolan-esque, seeing the, the, the bat in Dark Knight being trussed up upside down, the the media making huge deal a huge of deal of it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting just these connections and the similarities there it's really noticeable that that is the case so they call for probson obviously the the lieutenant they call for him to uh to come and and try and solve this where the heck is he outside having a cigarette again you can tell this is written in 2002 it's snowing really hard and he's out having a smoke and up walks the joker the man that that they got the city pd have been looking for all over the city he's been driving them insane yeah, the shadowy figure kind of appears out from the, the snowstorm that's occurring. The snowplow's just gone past, and there is the Joker. And Probeson takes the Joker down. That ends issue 14. And we move in then to issue 15. And again, you then have the Joker being interrogated by Montoya and Alan in the interrogation room. Again, it's this whole idea that they've got it all wrong. It's not that Melina is going to get shot. It's that when the timer goes out, the buzzer goes, and there's going to be a boom, not Mm -hmm. a crack from the rifle. Ultimately, panic stations, because now... The MCU are looking for a bomb, not for a sniper. Why was it that the Joker gave himself up? That's one of the big questions um, from the last issue. Absolutely. And importantly, panic stations inside the MCU, panic stations inside the Gotham City PD, but Gotham starts to return to normal. The Gotham public are going back shopping. It's just before Christmas, three days before Christmas. They're starting to go back shopping and get in their Christmas presents, and there's very much this. Scene, this is a win for the MCU that they have arrested the Joker, and it's the the press are told about it instantly, and they get it out there immediately. Go back, don't worry about it. Come out of your homes, go to your shops, 
finish uh, your Christmas shopping. Yeah, that's everything's the, all right. Yeah, the We've shops will stay the open for an extra six hours and make sure you get your presents for your family. And you realize it's it's that plan mm-hmm. where it's several steps ahead of what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. He was looking to to get caught and to provide them with that opportunity to tell everyone he's been caught, he's locked up, he's being interrogated. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Justice is going to be served for these two deaths. Go back and get your Christmas shopping in. And instead, what you then find out is that they're out there doing their last-minute Christmas shopping. There is a big bomb that's about to explode. And it's also revealed that the Joker has been doing exactly what the press have been saying about the Gotham City PD. He's been taking that on board and he's just been making them run around in circles all over the city because... This is a job for Batman. It's not a job for the GCPD. If he ties them up in knots, they won't have the time to investigate. This will be all for the Batman. He's left a trail of breadcrumbs for the Batman to go and solve this case. He doesn't care about the GCPD. He doesn't care how much Montoya and Alan ask him questions and what they say to him. They're just the audience. Exactly. They are just there for Batman's uh, and his entertainment. But one of the the little things that it's a route for the ordinary person... Is when Romy, Chandler, and uh, Nate are sat in gridlock. And all of a sudden, she realizes all these people are out buying their Christmas presents. Why is that happening? And Joker, what was his intent? She realizes that his logic is one that is always to build bigger and bigger and to make things worse and worse for everyone. And it's interesting that it's not just the Batman that can deduce the Joker's mad logic. That there's someone, at least in Romy Chandler, that can deduce that as well. And that's a really good win, I think, for... Gotham City Police Department. Absolutely, absolutely. It seems to come across, you know, with the with the GCPD that the only limitation for them is they work shifts. Their shift does eventually end. They have to go home to their families and, and their normal lives after the end of the day. They all seem to work longer hours than I would ever work if I was in that job. But the difference with Batman is that he spends the entire day investigating everything and then he comes out at night and does it. And that's his job. That's what he does all day, every day, 24 hours a day. No family, yeah. no friends. No. That's what he does. So to have this little win showing... They had a bit of time. They were sitting in traffic. Romy Chandler identifies that this is exactly the audience for um, the Joker, and it reveals the plan. And the thing is, is that within the MCU, though, this panic is is getting more and more and more as they realize that they've sent ordinary people out to their deaths mm. and have fooled into the trap of the Joker's plan. And you have Probeson beating up the Joker to say, where is Melina? Where is Angie Molina? Where have you placed it? Where is this bomb? Where is it going to go off? And again... He starts to get really brutal. Yeah, it's a really brutal beatdown. This just continues and continues. And the Joker then is started purposefully riling him up as well. It gets him to hit him harder and harder. And for me, this is the third time within this uh, story arc where, to me, it looks like it's straight out of The Dark Knight, except it's written before then. Because what happens next is that the Joker grabs Probeson and he kills him. He grabs his gun and comes out and starts shooting up the Major Crimes Unit with, with the line, everyone's wearing their vests, as he shoots them in the head. Yeah, And then he gets taken out by Captain Sawyer with bullets into into the torso. And then he leaves with his final words, 
which is oh no, not again. This trick never works. <laughs> which is which is just fun. It's yeah. it's you know it's a Joker moment where he's what you would expect anybody else in a comic book would be dying on the floor. He's dying on the floor, going yeah, okay, whatever. I'll be awake soon. Yeah, yeah and it's fun. a close shave for for Stacy as well, the mm. temp who is like singles her out to say. I missed you on the roof. I, I don't want to let you think that um, I wasn't thinking about you. And exactly. luckily, Captain Sawyer comes in and, and takes her out. And after, I think that's... After just killing Probson, who was yeah. on the roof with her, yeah. It's just really good, and it's a good connection, like, as we were saying before, that connective tissue between the different issues. Mm. So the bomb, he places it in a toy store to kill parents who are buying last-minute toys for their children. Yeah. And Joker makes that specific point about it. And one of the things about the Joker character, really, is that we... You never know who he is. You never know his background story. There's always little flashes to his background story. It's something that popped into my head when he, the way he said it was very much, I've done this because if your parents go out on Christmas Eve and buy you a Christmas present, they're not good parents anyway. So it came in some, it, it obviously crossed my mind. Is this Joker, this, this particular version of the Joker, is he a mistreated child who wants to take back revenge on parents? Because he feels he's going to get away with it. He feels he's going to, it's going to work this time. This is going to be the, the thing he's going to do to destroy Christmas. He has, the, the, he has that image of little Johnny being at home going, oh, where's my present from Santa? Oh, it didn't come here because my parents are dead. He has that moment. And again, saying that if your parents are buying on Christmas Eve, they're bad parents. And I think it, it's, it's one of those interesting aspects to the Joker and the Batman relationship where he forces Batman into a, a position that he has to make a decision which could ultimately make him look bad. And with four minutes left, Detective Romy Chandler and Nate Patton finally in a, in a stockroom. They're evacuating the entire department store. Nate is, stays to try and save Melina whilst Romy goes out to evacuate the store. And Batman shows up to save Melina as the explosion is kind of starting yeah. to go off. And you get this idea then after the the explosion, post the disaster that has happened, that this is a war between the Batman and the Joker, where real policemen, real detectives are getting caught in the crossfire and all the casualties in, in this war. They're getting injured, such as Nate Patton, and ultimately getting killed like Lieutenant Probeson. Uh, within in the interrogation room, and that why are the MCU waiting for Batman just to simply rock up and save the day? And there's a really interesting exchange between uh, the commissioner and Captain Sawyer, where he goes, it's not like Metropolis. He says, you never doubted Superman was on your side. Uh, and Captain Sawyer replies, no, sir. And it, the point is ultimately made, is that this is not Metropolis. This is Gotham. Mm -hmm. And Gotham has more shades of grey, I think, is the point they Absolutely. made here. How, how do you know that Batman is actually on your side? And it's a really good end to a really good story arc, which I have to say again, has so many beats that reminded me of the second installment of Nolan's um, The Dark Knight. Yeah. It, certainly with regards to the Joker and his relationship with the Gotham City Police Department. Absolutely. And his relationship with Batman. He is just he just wants to toy with him. He wants to play with him. He wants to play with the Gotham City PD. I absolutely think, you know, this is probably my second favorite arc since Half a Life. I think this is uh, this is the one that stands out. The Joker is obviously one of the best comic book characters and they've done a great job here with with creating a really maniacal, weird 
crazy joker the exact one that i like love this one this is probably you know this is like a 4.5 right now on my on my kind of rating system <laughs> out of five it Anything with the Joker, if it's done well, has just got that really something special. Yeah. And and this this delivers it on many different levels. So we come to the final arc, issues 16 through to 18. This arc is called Life is Full of Disappointments. This is a murder investigation. A lady is found in a dumpster. This is passed between three different sets of detectives across the, the three different issues and this allows a glimpse into the various lives of these detectives and how they go about solving the case but also their professional and private lives this whole arc also features the huntress if i can sum up my own feeling on these issues is that unfortunately the title life is full of disappointments ultimately provides for a disappointment I find that for issue 16, I was really excited about because it involves Sergeant Davis and Detective Crow. And it starts with one of their locker room moments. But to me, Sergeant Davis is... I think you want to explain the locker room moments a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) A conversation that they have in the locker room. (laughs) And to me, it's really engaging. I really want to find out more. It's the yeah. start of the investigation. This involves the poisoning, uh, the finding of Stephanie Becker in a dumpster in a wheelie bin. And it's the start of this investigation. It starts off with a really poignant aspect with the funeral of Lieutenant Probeson mm. from the previous story arc. And his replacement within difficult circumstances is introduced in Commander David Cornwell, and it's a really interesting start to this story arc. Yeah, Sergeant Davis thought he was up for that role. It's that that was absolutely where he saw his trajectory and work, and, exactly. and it's a really good, really good interplay between him and Crow about this is where he saw himself going, and it just gets snatched away from. Him. Yeah, and it it seems to be something that not only is going to be looking at this investigation. But it's also then maybe going to have an aside with regards to the office politics mm. of the the MCU because you find out that Cornwell knows Mayor Hull. He wants to move to the MCU and a deal is struck that allows him to become now the lieutenant on the second shift in the MCU and the MCU is allowed to keep their overtime. It kind of sets itself up with the police investigation, the office politics. You have this poignant moment at the start at least it has sergeant davis and detective crow and sergeant davis to me is one of the really interesting detectives Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it doesn't continue through it's almost as though it just doesn't deliver on what was promised in issue 16 through to issue 18 i think it's great that you get introduced to these other characters and these other detective partnerships. That's really interesting, but it doesn't give it enough time to breathe. It doesn't allow enough page time to fully go into these these new partnerships. And part of me maybe would have thought, let's just cut it down to two if you're going to have a replacement to Davis and Crow, Just allow it to be one replacement and focus on that because I think things aren't given due time and 
ultimately, this whole story arc ends in a bit of a fizzle. I can kind of see what Brubecker and Rooker were doing here. Like we mentioned last episode that uh, Brubecker was taking the day shift and Rooker was taking the night shift. This is a story that's played out, or this this investigation is played out over the course of a couple of days, rather than what you would see on a normal TV show, where your hero goes, sees a crime, and then he's the same one that solves it. What they essentially do is hand off the investigation between different partners. But I think they try really hard to kind of flesh out each of their characters as the story goes on. I just don't think it's as successful as they intended it to be in this in this arc. I think each of the characters, as you say, John, each of the characters has quite a quite deep moments within the story. But because there's so many of them trying to be deep moments, it kind of it kind of undercuts the overall arc. Yeah, I mean, I I think so. It, it's a it's a relatively simple investigation. Not enough time is given over to the Huntress. I actually mm. thought was actually Pat Curl at one stage when I when I saw the the artwork. Yeah, I can only imagine if you were if you were a kid in two thousand and two and walked into a comic shop, and you happened to like the Huntress and saw an image of her on the front of a comic book, about to pounce into action with one of the characters. You pick it up and read it and go, what the heck yeah. is this? The, the cover art certainly does not reflect the 23 pages in between. Mm-hmm. And the Huntress is kind of just brought in and then goes and you don't see her again. That's really disappointing. I think the other two partnerships that are introduced in issue 17, you've got Detective Dagmar Prochnow and Detective Tommy Burke. And I mean, the interplay between the two like of them that. are really, it's really quite nice. And then in issue 18, we've got Detective Vincent Arazio and his partner, Jolie Bartlett. And in each one of those, there's a setup for Dagmar and uh, Tommy that is very much a personal one. Mm -hmm. And I think then Vincent and Jolie, you have one that is very professional with some really dubious undercurrents where not everything is revealed between the two of them about their partnership or what each one knows absolutely and, and with, crow, with crow and davis in the first set of issues they seem to be good partners they seem to get on really well and, and crow is very much saying that davis should have gotten the job they're very supportive kind of structure but they're all very different stories all three issues are very are very different absolutely and all three I mean, they're successful in that and you know yeah but all three issues have stories that to be honest i would quite like to hear more of but there's not the space to find that out Ultimately, in relation to the overall connecting investigation of two accountants within a pharmaceutical company have been murdered, and that ends up that they were poisoned, that fizzles out because it ends up coming to a head and it's simply one of the laboratory researchers has killed Stephanie Becker purely because he got a bit of action. She then went no, and he took offence to that, it yeah. would seem. And, yeah, Mary Ellen Connolly has a sweet tooth and took the sweets that were laced with poison tets, the poison tets uh, that was given to Stephanie Becker. And it seems a bit of a fizzle. I think Detective Vincent Orazio has a really interesting link to the Mafia mm. and to the FBI and to the Huntress. And none of that is really fully explored, ultimately, yeah. uh, in this. You get stood up at the altar with Vincent going to the, the financial officer of this Washburn Pharmaceutical, saying, where is this million that's been lost down the R&D pipe? But actually, he just comes in and says, 
you're laundering money for the mafia. Mm. I know this because I have family connections and I work for the FBI in trying to break the mafia stranglehold in Sicily. And that is a really interesting kind of aspect to it, which just didn't get fully resolved. And maybe, and yeah, I'm ho- I'm hopeful it's going to come across. And, yeah. and the rest of the, the rest of the series is another twenty two issues to go. You know, I hope um, so. I hope so too. Yeah. As I say, I, I can understand what Greg Rooker and Ed Brubaker were trying to do, and maybe you know we are reading these issues and recording as we go. Perhaps this will pay off quite quickly. You know, perhaps this is you know issue nineteen, twenty, no, 20, twenty-two, twenty-three. I uh, agree. I think they came my, to my a... counting. There was a little bit off, but <laughs> no, I, for me, it came to this point where I was like, "Oh, have we said to our our audience that we're going to stop at issue eighteen, and mm. actually we should be stopping at issue twenty-three? Yeah. I thought there was going to be a whole new aspect to this carried on in issue nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, yeah. and so on. I'm not certain or convinced. That that's going to happen because the next set of issues do relate around Mad Hatter and, and I right. think something different. So Ben, who has read all 40 of them and we read his feedback earlier on, if you want to tell us that we're totally <laughs> wrong and these are the best issues of, of the comic, uh, let us know. Yeah, and, uh, and that the thing for me is that the life that still is retained within these three issues for me is, is that these will be resolved later on in this 40 uh, issue series of Gotham Central yeah. because I think everything up till now has shown that there is a resolution or there is connectivity between the different issues and between the different story arcs yeah. from minor details Stacy is still there within the MCU or as we discussed earlier Charlie Field's wife who saw him killed by Mr. Freeze in the first issue, is suddenly being involved within the story arc, uh, soft targets in in issue 12 uh, and 13, and how that impacts on Marcus Driver. So I'm hopeful, and I hope that will change my view on this. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I do love the little details of of the fact that Stephanie was out, she's a 27-year-old girl, she's out on the town with her friends, you know, I love the I love the little details. Yeah. That there is some suspicion thrown on the friends that she was out with. There's some suspicion that she was just drunk, or that she was selling her body to the taxi driver for the trip home. I love that. I love that stuff. I think it was actually quite interesting that they investigated those little pieces. But I wish they kind of had gone into that a little bit more. It's it, it's a very normal, mundane case to have so many characters involved in it, and that made it a bit of a difficult end to this arc, I suppose. It is. It, it's it, not like I would jump off. If I was reading the comics at the time, it's not like I would jump off at this point and go, nah, not going to read this yeah. again. I'm really enjoying the characters. You would definitely give the next set a chance. For me, issue 16 actually sets it up really well. It's not even the handover to the next detectives. It's just simply that the overall investigation... It doesn't finish in a way that is satisfying to me because yeah. it almost seems as though it should be bigger yeah. because you're suddenly bringing in Detective Vincent with his mafia connections and that peters out. Mm. Issue 16, I think, is a really good start and I just don't think it's given the time that it deserves and maybe that time comes in later issues and that that's where it gets resolved and that's why I think I'm putting my hands up and saying the jury's still out for me right. on, on these three it does, arcs. It does kind of feel like with with this arc, definitely, it feels like we shouldn't be reviewing each arc and giving them a score. This is this does feel like we should be going, all right, hold back, 
hold your fire here. Maybe there's something huge that's coming out of this. And I, I definitely feel the, the, the piece with Detective Delorazio. I definitely feel his whole piece where he's connected to the mob, connected to the investigation there. I definitely feel that's going to suddenly play a big part later on. We all know the, the mafia play a big part within Gotham. And perhaps that's what they're going to start bringing in now a bit more. And I'm, I'm excited to read that. I was excited to suddenly see this element to it. The, the mafioso being involved in it, it didn't play out in any significant way yeah. within this story. Within the story. And, that's, lo- and that's the point I really want to be quite clear on, is that I'm talking about it within this three-issue story. I loved issue 16, and I thought it set it up really well. And maybe it set it up in a way that I thought it was going to go down a different path. And it ultimately went down a path where we were introduced to two different detective partnerships. And that is, in itself, really good. What I mean is two different partnerships from Detective Crow and Sergeant Davis. And that's really good. There just wasn't the space to fully look at those and explore yeah. those different parts. Yeah, so it's always a juggling act when you have this many characters, you're right, and, and I, I just feel the juggling act wasn't as good as I would have, I, I would have hoped for, for these characters, yeah. so hey, look. You get some good ones and you get some bad ones. And, and I'm, not saying they're, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm, I, I would say, again, we're talking you know, rating-wise, I would say if it was just on this arc, I would say 2.3, 2. 2.4. Yeah, you know. I mean... The, prob- the problem at the time, obviously, was that these were issues, these were three issues that were put out over the course of three months. So that's quite a long time to wait for your issues. And it, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, not backpedaling, but a little bit like pedaling in place, like pedaling on a... On a, uh, on a treading water. Uh, treading water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to go for the bicycle <laughs> joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's it, it's summed up really well by one of our friends, uh, Phil Elliott, who mm-hmm. says, how do you know a good movie without seeing a bad movie? True. And I'm not saying that this is a bad set of comics, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as what we've had up till now. That's and true. that's the difference, is that actually it's because you're always comparing it to the last thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, things are different. But this is one of the cases where it just doesn't feel fully resolved. And it's bizarre because the next story arc is unresolved. Even though I'm saying this, I'm like going, does unresolved relate to the fact that this is not resolved? <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. But as they say, John, life is full of disappointments. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that's our review of those three arcs in the teens of Gotham Central. I guess some of you listeners are going to agree with us. Some of you listeners are going to disagree with us. Let us know what you think by contacting us at uh, GothamTVPodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. I think we're re- we really want to find out what your views on because I think as well this is kind of the first review that we've done where, you know, there's a hint that it's not all just, like, great and we're happy to see... The, the next series of issues that we're reviewing, I think we've had a really, you know, I suppose, borderline negative review here. I wouldn't say borderline negative. but Like fully negative no, or not negative no, at I'd all? Say we're, I'd say we're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> not negative at all. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, it sounds like one of those one of those questions that you just can't answer, really. But um, I think it, it's really interesting to find out other views on that because yeah. certainly for me, I was... I was disappointed 
as the title of the arcs indicates, <laughs> I was disappointed. But let us know your views, and as we mentioned earlier on, we've got great prize coming up for, <laughs> yeah, exactly. for you guys to win. So, um, so I'd love to hear some feedback. Funny enough, we have a great prize if you disagree with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you disagree with us and you lead to a great argument, then... If you get me and Derek to um, you know, fight honour yeah. <laughs> and keep it in the recording, then you'll definitely... <laughs> You will win. definitely win the, win a, the prize. A, win a great penguin piece of art. Have a look on the Facebook page. Have a look on uh, the Twitter page. Uh, and we'll and, put and it up see, on our website as and, well. Yeah, and you'll see the image. Um, it's really well, well worth looking at. But yeah, get in contact with us. And, and welcome on board to the agents again. Yeah, exactly. So for our next podcast, we will actually be leaving Gotham Central and the comic series aside just for a brief hiatus. And it's not because of our review of the last three episodes, but actually it's more to do with the fact that in Soft Targets we saw such a commonality with some of the events that happened in the Nolan universe. And given that Soft Targets was written before that, it brought our minds to uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And we wanted to maybe just mix it up a bit as well and, and, and start to do a few reviews of some of the films as well and not just comic books i think we understand that not all of our listeners will have read the comic books so obviously we want to give some content for everybody and make sure that everybody's brought brought along so yeah the, the idea of going through the nolan movies is going to be really exciting for me and uh, really interesting we will come back to gotham central in a couple of weeks time and give us some time to read the next couple of arcs and give give you some time to catch up if you haven't been reading we love to hear your thoughts, your views, um, and you can do that, obviously, with our Gmail at GothamTVPodcasts at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, because we need at least another five likes. Yeah, we want we want to make Ben and, and Daniel uh, proud and at least get us up to 40 <laughs> likes that could be attributed to them. Uh, but you can connect with us on Facebook. Google Plus, Twitter, and keep a lookout on our website as well because we'll be posting up some news items and obviously, 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 <laughs> obviously the competition and pictures of the prize that you can win. Thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Take care. Hydra.